0: Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. Yep, this is Simon Rose. He's Steve Kaplan. We've just had uh, yes 10 minutes of trying to get the tech to work in the way it's supposed to. So we're both slightly frazzled. Uh, I would point out that trying to get the tech to work entirely from your end, not from mine. Uh, That isn't actually strictly true. If you recall the problem you had with headphones oh yes that's because when i plug my headphones in zoom decided to set the headphone volume to zero never done that before. okay well anyway that's that's because the majority of people who use zoom for meetings have discovered that is the best setting for headphones Uh, so you could look and be interested but actually listening to something else okay so where do we start today well, we're starting with driverless cars, which we've talked about, you know, a lot. But driverless cars, having been tested in Milton Keynes for eighteen months, are now mm-hmm. going live. It's a company oh. called uh, it's called Fetch, and it's from a company called Imperium Drive, which is a very grand name. Mm-hmm. And you can now order a driverless car. They point out it's driverless but not autonomous, and you think, what on earth does that mean? Well. When you when you get the car, you actually drive it yourself. But when it's delivered to you, it comes without a driver. It drives itself to you. Oh. It's good, isn't it? So it means when you get your car ordered, they can save on having a driver to actually drive it. Or rather, they can't because there is a driver driving it. He's just not in the car. He's back at their offices. Driving it on various screens with three hundred and sixty degree cameras around. So, the in car. other words, as if he's playing a computer game. You have to hope that he's remembered that he's at work and not at home. Exactly. Playing I mean, auto as I say, something. they've done eighteen months of trials on this, but I think driving a car on a proper road with proper traffic from a remote office must be a terribly difficult thing to do. Yeah, Don't you, you think? Well, I would have thought it more difficult than just. Having a driver in the car. Ah, but then he'd have to get back again, wouldn't he? You could always give him a lift back to his office, uh, but then that rather defeats tr- the point. Uh, yes, I suppose that's true. Yes. Uh, well, okay, well well, well, we'll have to see how it, how it goes. Are you Are going to well, pop up to Milton Keynes and, and try it so out? Next time I'm in Milton Keynes, the last right. time I was in Milton Keynes was actually about 15 years ago, but next time I'm in Milton Keynes, I will <laughs> certainly give it a go just to see if it turns up. Okay, Excellent. Mm. Excellent. Anyway, from driverless cars to robots. Now, the problem with robots, and I'm talking about robots that can move around and pick things up, mm-hmm. is that they don't have a sense of touch. And they've tried all kinds of uh, gloves, haptic gloves that can mm-hmm. make them feel what they are doing. But what happens if a robot bumps into something, doesn't realize because it hasn't got any sense of touch on its arms? What's mm-hmm. it do then? Well, the answer, according to Carnegie Mellon University, is to knit them a sweater, what they have indeed. They have it they call it robot sweater, which is a name, yes. sensible name for it. And it consists of two layers of wool, actually nylon wool, which has metallic stripes knitted into it. And the stripes are set at 90 degrees to each other. So stripes going one way on the top piece and going the other way on the bottom piece. And in between them, sandwiched between them. It is an insulating mesh. When the jumper, the sweater, comes in contact with something, it presses the, the, the two outer layers together mm-hmm. through the mesh, and it makes uh, an electrical circuit. And the robot, being clever, knows exactly where that point is, so it knows which part of it is touching whatever it happens to be touching. Good, mm-hmm. isn't it? Well, good. I'm starting to get slightly worried about this. I I sort of poo-pooed the first sort of warnings about AI and robots, but now I'm now seeing so many from people who were early pioneers in the field that I'm getting a little bit worried when somebody said that that Terminator was not a science fiction film, but rather prescient, which I hope not, clearly. Well, it is definitely uh, of concern, yes, and we are quite concerned about it. within the realm of ordinary tech and gadget and gizmos, it does seem quite clever, yes. It does. Well, talking of ordinary tech and gadgets and gizmos, mm. Dyson. Dyson, right. he of the stupidly expensive vacuum cleaners, has got a new mm. vacuum cleaner out. It is his first robot vacuum. And uh, James Dyson claims that it sucks six times harder than any other robot vacuum. Well, that'd be on the on the advertising. Dyson sucks. It, <laughs> I imagine <laughs> they've probably already been through that one, several iterations yeah, of yes, vacuums I imagine, ago. I imagine. So how does it do it? Well, it does it by using a hyperdymium motor. <laughs> what? I hear you ask for well, that. Like you didn't. <laughs> well, but I'll ask it you. No. What is a hyperdymium motor? Well, it turns out it's just a name that they've invented to call their motor. Okay. Sounds so we're, good. We're really you no know, clear. clear. But do you, it you does actually include want a, a vacuum that sucks six times more than any other? I mean... The number of things that go up there you don't really want to. When it's just an ordinary vacuum cleaner, if it sucks six times stronger, you'll probably take the carpet with it. Well, it's worrying, isn't it? Exactly, yes. Anyway, it has 26 sensors, which I suspect is probably rather more than the driverless car in Milton Keynes, Hmm. including a 360-degree fisheye lens on the top. Mm -hmm. And it will be available soon, as they say on their website. No idea of price on the website, but... It's reckoned to cost around fifteen hundred pounds, which is quite a lot for a vacuum cleaner. But of course, peanuts by Dyson standards—they don't right. know for charging a lot. So, which but it will get up the... six times as many peanuts as other six times queens. as many peanuts. They... It's funny when they demonstrate vacuum cleaners, they always show them picking up things like peanuts and paper clips, but never actually picking up, you know, ground in dust, which is frankly what they're for. So, where do? Where do robot vacuum cleaners come from? The first one, as you know, was the Roomba. The Roomba came out in 2002, but no, it turns out it wasn't the first one. The first one was made by Tomy, and it was a toy. It was called the Dustbot. It came out in 1985, and it had a little dustpan and brush, but it didn't use a dustpan and brush. It actually had a vacuum cleaner built into it, and children could... I can't imagine how many kids really got off on playing with a toy robot but vacuum cleaner. It's, huh? it's odd you should say that, because my 15-month-old grandson is obsessed with sweeping and brushing. Oh, I see, he? I mean, well, There's a good career he for him. Mm, yes, I don't know. <laughs> he, he may well have got tired of it by the time he actually gets to adulthood. But the way things are going, perhaps children are going to be um, pressed into work rather sooner these days. Well, we maybe they will, yes. So... Onwards then. Oh, we, why don't we have one of these? We haven't had one have of one these yet, have we? And have I had one? Let's move on. Well, let's move on to the age old problem of where to park your Bugatti in Dubai. <laughs> right. I'm sure it's something that keeps you awake at night. Yeah, well, Yes, it doesn't. But well, do, uh, The answer, of course, will be Bugatti residences, because Bugatti, the car manufacturer, are building their first block of flats. And a very extraordinary looking thing it is, too. It's a twisting, silvery building that stands on two legs. Rather like a sort of, well, I don't know, a misshapen, twisty, silvery thing. It doesn't <laughs> look like anything else. It's, uh, you have to look it up. But you have to have and a Bugatti um, to buy one. I don't think you have to have a Bugatti to buy one, but you probably need, if you can afford a Bugatti, you can probably afford one of these apartments. Right, okay. (laughs) It has 11 penthouses, and the penthouses, of course, have built-in garages. So how do you get your Bugatti to the garage? Well, there's a car lift. You drive into the lift on the ground floor, and you stay in your car as it goes up into the lift and park it in your own garage. At the top of the building? At the top of the building. Okay. What is the point? I suppose you can polish it without having to go down to the public garage. You think people who actually can afford Bugattis and these weird penthouses are going to do their own polishing? No, possibly not. They will send their their man because they could send your grandson. Well, out, just of after, I hope they haven't got a Dyson. It would suck it up. It would. It would. Yes. Take but, all the, uh, the all idea, the accessories off. Well, the idea of having a penthouse and giving up a fairly large part of its space to a, a garage. <laughs> Yes. That seemed faintly ridiculous. Well, now it's so queer it, as It would be better if they had a spiral ramp because then you could actually drive your car in. Mm. That would be more fun than just, I mean, imagine you drive into the garage and you, you sit in the lift while it mm. whisks you up to your, to your car. There is a wonderful old former police building just off um, uh, uh, Whitehall that does have a spiral ramp going up, with, which was the police used to use for their horses because the horses used to be on the first floor. Mm, yes. Yes, wonderful. I know wonderful the one you piece mean. of architecture. Yeah. Anyway, yes. we might have got slightly off subject. Well, not, not that we ever move do on. normally. Let's yep. move on. Yeah. Now, mice like wheat seeds, as any farmer will tell you. Well, any farmer, arable farmer. I don't think a dairy farmer would know much about it. Right. But the problem is that once the farmer has planted his seeds or sown his seeds. Uh, Then the mice come along and they dig them up because they really like the taste of the seeds. And apparently it's a big problem. So there are solutions, um, (laughs) one being to chemically treat the seeds so they don't smell nice to to mice. But of course, not only is that a bit of a pain to do, but the mice would very quickly get used to the smell Mm. and eat them anyway. So the University of Sydney has an even better solution, which is to make everything smell of wheat. What they do is they... (laughs) They spray the fields with a a solution of water and wheat germ. Everything smells of wheat, so the mice can't find them. That's quite clever. clever. It is clever. And in their tests, only 25% of the usual number of seeds were actually eaten by mice compared to um, regular ones that have not been sprayed with wheat. That's when surprised they found any. That's really clever, yes. Well, it's a good moment for us to to pause. We will be back very shortly, though, with more Gadgets and Gizmos. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. ArmorAll: Less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to Gadget and Gizmos on Share Radio, where Steve Kaplan is going to take us through the latest in the world of tech. So what now? Well, here's a rather clever one. For blind people, you've often seen blind people walking around with those white sticks, mm-hmm. and these days the white sticks have like a little ping-pong ball on the end so they can run it along the ground, so they don't have to lift it up, and they swipe from side to side, and mm-hmm. it lets them know when they're about to bump into something. Well, a student um, in uh, Zurich called Alexander Bayer decided that's not good enough, so he has produced a white stick that scans the environment around it It identifies doors and stairs and various other obstacles. And when it detects something in its path, the handle vibrates. Not only that, but there's a little pointer underneath the user's thumb that points in the direction that they're supposed to go uh, to to walk in. So it guides them around the obstacle with this little direction pointer. That's very that's very clever. It is very clever, isn't it? Yes, 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 Excellent. So they have set up uh, a company called Next Guide, which they hope to then start manufacturing and then selling these things. I think it's an oh. absolutely ingenious idea. Well done, Alexander Bayer hmm. from Zurich. Right, and moving on from there, let's go to our app of the week, which we haven't had for a few weeks. No, not a long, long time. I can't even remember what the noises is. I think it's this one. <laughs> it is indeed that one little electronic <laughs> fanfare that i good. knocked up good 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 so it is uh, it is the merlin app it is the bird identifier and it's been around for some time but it's recently had a major upgrade so it includes all the known birds in the united states canada and europe really very very good more than 10000 species because it also got birds from everywhere else in the world so it knows your location, it knows the season, it knows the time, and when you spot a bird, there are two ways of doing it. Either you can photograph it, which is quite tricky to ph- photograph a bird if it's a long way away. Yes, absolutely. Or you, yeah. yeah. Or you can record the, the song of the bird. Again, quite tricky, there's lots of birds around. But if you just see one in your garden, you go through this questionnaire where it asks you the size of the bird, and you sort of rate it between uh, a robin to uh, a blackbird to uh, I don't know vulture. Or red kite, yes. Only yes. vultures in that. my garden. Yeah. Have you got red kites in your garden? Uh, we get red kites occasionally nearby. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Anyway, so it uh, and then t- you then tell it where you saw it, so whether it's up in the trees or on the ground, or uh, swimming or perched on a wire. And then it shows you all the birds it could possibly be, which is usually not that many once, you, mm-hmm. once you've narrowed it down. It shows you half a dozen pictures of each of the birds, and it plays their sound. So you can listen to them and you can compare what you're seeing. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I have tried bird identification apps before. The one I tried, the real problem was that even you felt as you launched the app that you could hear one bird rather than all the others. But as you point out, often this isn't the only people bird are, making a noise. People are very good at focusing in on one yes. sound. As you know, if you're in a if you're in a crowded room and you're talking to someone, you can hear them perfectly. But if you take a recording of that room, then there's a barrage mm. of other noise that gets in the way. Well, this that's why this one uses the the questionnaire process. Mm. It is made by Cornell University and it's free. How about that? Mm. Super, I might give it a go. You do, well, you do have to download the bird pack for your region, and that can be quite big. So the UK bird pack is 657 megabytes. Well, really it's quite big. Plenty of space. Well, not as big as if you were in Brazil, where it's nearly two gigabytes. Wow. I suppose they have more birds in Brazil. There's an awful lot of coffee, isn't yes. it? in Brazil? Isn't that the song? I think so. Also a lot, a, a lot of birds as well. A lot they, of birds, quite clearly, yes. yes. And how do you stop them eating the coffee? You you make everything smell of coffee. Well, on, enough, I was about to... to go there, yes. Mine's <laughs> so it's called, it's called um, Merlin. It's on the various app stores. And I've tried it out, and I think it's really good. Very good idea. Okay. But, um, yes, I just wonder if I've got enough space on my, my phone. Okay, super. Um, well, I think let's have one of these before we proceed and samsung. Let's move on. Mm. samsung have a new laptop out oh they don't they only made one of them because it's a prototype concept laptop and it has a scrolling screen what's that well it it works rather like the uh those old screens that your father used to dig out when he was showing home movies you know the kind of oh, long when you, know. yeah. You I've, I've got screen. one in the cellar. Yes. Of course, everyone's got one in the cellar. I haven't because I haven't <laughs> got a cellar, but I've got one right. somewhere. Yeah. So the screen starts off at uh, just forty-nine millimetres high. That's just under a couple of inches, mm-hmm. and it pulls up to a massive two hundred and fifty-four millimetres, which is frankly getting on for a foot high. The trouble being, of course, that when it's rolled down. It's really quite chunky, because a whole screen has to roll around. So it's like a very thin laptop with a big tube behind it that contains the screen. I can't see the point myself. I mean, it's it's clever, but um, it's also pointless, (laughs) as indeed is much of the stuff we discuss on this show. (laughs) Well, uh, that's true. That's true. But uh, who knows? Okay, well, let's move on then. Let's move on. Let's move on to our crowdfunding time of the week, please. Oh, more noise, more noise. Here we go. And there you are, sitting on your laptop or on your Sitting on computer, my laptop? Or sitting at your laptop. I did once do or that, and I had to replace the screen. Oh, of course you did. Of course you did. If anything bad can be done to a computer, you're the person to do yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Or your iPad, and you're writing your novel, and you're thinking, well, wouldn't it be better if I was sitting at an old-fashioned typewriter writing my novel? That's the mm-hmm. idea. I think that's the idea that Find Day with their version three of their Bluetooth typewriter keyboard. It looks a bit like a typewriter. It has right. individual sort of clunky keys. It has a slot in the top where you can rest your tablet, mm-hmm. and it sounds actually it doesn't sound like a typewriter. It sounds like a from old-fashioned mechanical keyboard, but that's course it feels a bit like a typewriter when you're when you're playing on it. It has a carriage return lever. So you can, rather than just hitting the enter key, you can yes, swipe yes. the character and And it has two knobs, the ones that used to raise and lower the pattern, I think it was called, inside <laughs> the uh, inside the typewriter. But in these, it doesn't do that. It doesn't scroll the page up and down, which is a shame. could be very useful. Instead, it controls the volume of the device that you're connected to and the brightness of the LED lights under your keyboard. So you can use it at night. And I know you're going to say that typically typewriters didn't have LED lights under their keyboard, but this one does. Anyway, it's it's there. It's made by Fine Day and it's currently 40 percent off for early adopters on Kickstarter at just £527. But you could buy a gorgeous old typewriter for considerably less than that. Yes. Yes, I don't really see the point. Well, the gorgeous old typewriter wouldn't link by Bluetooth to your iPad, though, would it? No, no, no. Which may well be, which may well be an attraction for many people. Oh, well, can you see be. anybody who'd want to use that? No, not really. The only person is Tom Hanks, is obsessed with. Yeah. I suppose it even had. I think you told us about a typewriter app he produced at one yes. stage to try yes. and make. It seemed more like a typewriter, well, but that was... I'd quite like to try this. It's, it sounds quite fun. And if it was, you know, maybe 50 quid, then I'd probably think, oh, right, I'll give it a go. But £527! Yeah. And that isn't even the final retail price, which will be getting on for a 1000 which is yes. an awful lot. It most certainly So is. I think find a... On Kickstarter... Well, you've got until July the 8th if you want to go and have a look at it, but I doubt you'll be buying one. Okay. So... Let's move on. Let's move on to beaming energy from outer space. How about that? This is the idea of JAXA. Now, you probably haven't heard of JAXA, but JAXA is the Japanese hmm. equivalent of NASA. Oh, and okay. They have successfully managed to beam power 50 meters to an electric kettle. 50 which, okay, meters? Okay. 50 meters, yes. So they're saying that by 2025, they will be able to put a series of satellites up in space which will beam solar power to a base station on the ground solar power of course you can get much more for your bang for your buck or or mm. much more yum for your yen now there must be a, a another alliteration that <laughs> could go with other than yum anyway come back with next i'll next come week. back to that one yeah yep. next week uh, by uh, up in space because there's no atmosphere to get in the way. There's no night to get in the way. So you could have solar power, you know, all day round and all year round, even if it's cloudy. Well, it sounds very clever. There are probably James Bond villains at these moments trying to work out how to use them for nefarious purposes. Almost certainly. Except the only slight drawback is that someone has pointed out that to have enough satellites to generate one gigawatt, which is the output of a typical nucle- nuclear reactor, would cost around seven billion dollars. Which is quite a lot. Mm. Quite a lot. Even if it then gets you free energy forever, or at least until the satellites crash into each other. It must be getting very crowded up there, don't you think? Yes. All these satellites yes, Very crowded. Around. Yes. Anyway, and finally, while we're up in space, astronauts mm-hmm. we every movie set in space, the astronauts climb into a pod and they hibernate until they get there. Several months or years or even hundreds of years Mm -hmm. later. You've seen Passengers, for example, movies like that. Well, they're trying it out. Washington University is trying it out with ultrasound-induced hypothermia. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. I know. It doesn't sound good, does it? (laughs) It doesn't. Anyway, they've, they've experimented by firing ultrasound pulses at the heads of rats, which have enabled them to drop their body temperature by three degrees for an hour. So extrapolating. Have they tried from going there, outside in winter? Uh, it work, <laughs> it works far more cheaply. Uh, it would do it, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, and they claim that they managed to even revive the rats afterwards. But I don't know, I can't think of many astronauts who'd be willing to be bombarded with ultrasound pulses to induce hypothermia and then hope that they could wake them up months no, later remotely. The, the body way. temperature by three degrees is enough to induce hypothermia. No, this is just as far as they've got it. so far. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So when they say wake the rats up, the rats haven't actually gone to sleep. No. They've just no, got no, bored. Well, they haven't gone to sleep, but they've hibernated. Oh, okay. Oh, time. right. Okay. I see. Okay. So that's the idea that astronauts that, will hibernate. But of course, people don't hibernate. Well, I mean, neither do rats, but they do now. Anyway, well, it's, it's probably possible. They'll probably be much better off just getting a guy from Milton Keynes to pilot the spaceship. Exactly, that would do remotely it. from Milton Keynes. Yes. Okay. Right. We sold that one. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, that's it for this edition of Gadget and Gizmos. We will be back with more of the same at the same time next week. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose.